even when we have access to drugs, there's still a, a human challenge here of adhering to medication. And I think that's you know, particularly pronounced with TB because of the effects of starting a regimen and then stopping, which can lead to drug resistant strains forming and that, that being a much harder challenge to solve. Hello, listeners. On this episode of Case Confirmed, I'm interviewing Andrew Cross, who co-founded Everwell Health Solutions out of Microsoft with fellow colleagues Bill Thies and Nakul Gupta. As CEO, Andrew built a team of 80 experts spanning technology, healthcare, program implementation, and research with a mission to design and deploy technology solutions to help people around the world live healthier lives. Everwell's solutions are used in more than 15 countries by governments, NGOs, and hospitals, serving over 2.6 million patients annually, which represents over one in five newly diagnosed TB patients. Andrew has recently taken up the role of chairman to help steward Everwell's growth into the next phase. Hi, Mira. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. And thanks again, Mira, for having me. Really excited to talk with you and join the conversation. I'm really looking forward to learning from you about your work. For our listeners on this episode of Case Confirmed, we'll be talking about tuberculosis, a lung infection that is caused by the bacteria Mycobacterium tuberculosis. And we're talking about TB from an engineering lens, and in particular, looking at the challenge of adherence to the antibiotic treatment regimen for TB, which is one of the largest challenges associated with TB treatment. So I think engineering is an interesting approach to all of these problems. I think having a technology lens or an innovative lens is always exciting, but of course, all of the solutions and deployments always happen as part of a larger ecosystem. So we're one piece of the puzzle. There's an enormous ecosystem of doctors, of epidemiologists, of policymakers, of healthcare workers that join in that fight. So I think you know it's always a group conversation. I think that's one lesson or one observational that I've seen time and time again is that these large challenges are addressed from different angles by a large ecosystem of people. So I think finding the right role to play in that ecosystem and playing off each other's strengths is always the right way to go. So I think, you know, a lot of your speakers, your prior speakers have been doctors from the medical profession. I am personally not from the medical profession. I've had the honor to be working in public health for a while now, but you know, not the honor of being a doctor myself. So I always rely on domain experts and others to inform the work that we do. And so I think engineering has its greatest impact when you have other domain experts in the fields of healthcare or education or other spaces to help inform and direct the work. Otherwise, technology for technology's sake, or if you're designing it for yourself, you may often miss the real critical challenges. So yeah, my background is engineering. I think I had a lot of early pure engineering experiences, which really taught me the excitement for solving problems. And that's why it's always been near and dear to my heart to focus on engineering as a way to solve problems. But I think there's a host of problems around the world to solve. So it's always a question of what do you want to focus your time on? And so I think early pure engineering experiences in software development and more traditional spaces taught me that these are interesting problems, but the end result of your work has to also mean something, especially at least for me, that just solving interesting problems is, is rewarding, but what is the end result? How does it impact people? That was always an important part for me. So I think early in my career, I really wanted to find ways that technology can address real societal challenges. After coming to India in 2011, I had the great opportunity to work with some domain experts in health. And so I think that was where things really started to pique my interest, that there's a solvable problem in some ways. We have effective drugs that are freely available from the government and TB still kills far too many people every year. So I think after early conversations, you know, there's there's a host of entry points to that challenge. There's a host of places to, to be involved. But I think the early one for us was understanding that it's 
you know, particularly pronounced with TB because of the effects of starting a regimen and then stopping, which can lead to drug resistant strains forming and that, that being a much harder challenge to solve. I totally agree with you that that is one of the biggest challenges is, you know, even when you have a treatment or even when you have something, it's like, what are the barriers to actually making it happen? And with TB, adherence to the antibiotic regimen, it's been problematic because the TB drugs are very strong antibiotics and they have a lot of side effects. And the side effects are oftentimes very unbearable for patients. They may not finish the full course. But there's also other barriers like stigma and barriers to probably getting to the clinics for the treatments and things like that. Even taking a step back before the engineering comes in, taking a, you know, trying to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's either just found out they have TB or, or is trying to recover from TB. They find out they have this disease, which they may or may not be aware of at all, but it sounds very scary. You know, they have some severe symptoms, which are preventing them from enjoying their daily life or even going to work. And so they first find out and they're given this very long-term prospect. You need to take medication. There's stigma in society, of course, which, you know, there's a lot of great work addressing that. But when you first find out you have a communicable disease, if your family finds out or, or your neighbors, then you might have to kind of conceal that from them. So now you've got this secret challenge of your own. Hopefully you have a support group, but that is not always the case. So now, you know, now I've got these medications, I need to take them every day, but I'm also going to work. I'm also traveling. I have to come for refills. I have to meet the doctors. Do I take time off of work for that? So there's a lot of financial loss if I have to travel to a center to meet a healthcare provider. So those are kind of some of the barriers that are facing someone who's just found out they have TB. So the idea is, you know, how can we, again, put ourselves in the person's shoes that's recovering, that everyone wants to feel better and best support them to take their medication? Is it you know, a reminder system, sometimes people forget, but that's just one piece of it. There's also a huge element of counseling and support and engagement. You know, you want to feel like someone cares for you or you want to know that someone cares for you and really have an engaged person or other party in this whole process. And that's where healthcare workers around the world play an enormous role. But unfortunately, they're very you know, resource constrained. There's just a bigger problem than there are enough people to, to, to address one on one. So you have healthcare providers who might have hundreds of patients or tens of patients under their care. So they can't possibly interact with them on a daily basis. So the idea was, well, how can we you know, facilitate these interactions in a better way and also reduce the burden or the requirement for someone to go and visit a healthcare center as often as they used to with the DOTS regimen and also kind of bring some empowerment to the scenario. You know, previously, DOTS was the recommended formula, DOTS being directly observed therapy short course, which meant that because adherence is such a challenge, both for your own recovery and for this potential to develop drug resistant strains, the recommendation was that a person would have to go to a facility and, and be observed taking the medication to be 100% sure it happened. So while that's highly effective, of course, it's very disempowering for the person. And so it seems like you were motivated to reduce the daily burden faced by a TB patient who would have to normally go into a clinic, maybe an area that was very far away from where they wanted to be. Maybe also it was expensive to potentially travel to the clinic and things like that. Re removing barriers is always important, kind of empowerment, motivation. You know, I think another interesting challenge or interesting dynamic that when someone starts their regimen or first diagnosed with TB, they generally feel very poorly. They have fever or night sweats. They're very weak. They may have lost weight. So they're very motivated to take medication uh, as anyone would be when you're not feeling well. But what typically happens is after a few weeks or maybe a month, you start to feel better because the medications are working. And so the first thought is, well, now I'm feeling better. Uh, maybe I don't need those medications or it just becomes a little harder to remember or to be motivated to take those medications because they, they do have side effects and other you know, challenges. How do you motivate or educate or counsel or support someone at that phase to continue the medication? Because again, dropping off at that phase is very unfortunate because you could have relapses and you could develop a drug resistant strain. So it's just another social dynamic there that 
everyone wants to feel better, but once you felt better, but still have to take medication, how do you, again, build an ecosystem of support for that? And technology can do some of it. Of course, we can you know, have reminders and engagement and, and rewards or all of these other gamification you know, parts of, of health interventions. But there's also, again, a human element. There's another person on the other side, which is the healthcare worker, the doctor, the pharmacist who wants you to feel better as well. So how do they manage their work? So there's kind of two sides so that the technology can bring the patient closer to the healthcare provider by providing them a way to interact remotely, to engage, or to at least let them know that something's going wrong. But it also provides the healthcare worker with a kind of bird's eye view of how their cohort of, of patients are, are doing and therefore intervene in the most critical places. If you could know with perfect knowledge that of your 100 patients, 90 of them are feeling great and taking their medication, that's all fine. But the other 10 might be struggling, might be having side effects. If you could know that, then that would really help guide your work to address the most critical challenges. So that was part of what we tried to help create is that environment where you had that knowledge by using some of these digital adherence tools where a patient could take their medication home, but still report or still engage with a provider and tell them they've taken their medication, that all is well. So that was kind of the first foray into trying to build technical innovations to support one of the spaces that, that is challenging for a, a person trying to recover from TB. Oh, that's great. That's really inspiring. I mean, you're creating solutions that also help bridge the gap between patients and providers as well. And providing, you know, extra data and information to clinics that they wouldn't otherwise have. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And I think the other dynamic that's there is just thinking about where technology can enable policy. I mean, policy has, you know, an enormous impact on how things are treated, especially in the public sector. So when you have you know, fantastic policies that can't be implemented, that's really challenging. Or if you have restrictive policies that are holding people back, that's very challenging. So what actually one, you know, 99 Docs is one of the, the products I've been talking about, which is a way for someone who has their medication to engage with the provider. In the early days, we were augmenting blister packs with an envelope, a very cheap paper envelope. So in India, in many places, the medication is prescribed in these blisters, which are, you know, foil rectangles, you could say, with little clear plastic bubbles with the medication inside that you dispense by pushing it through a foil backing. So with that format, we had an envelope that wrapped around it. So when the person would dispense the medication, they would see a hidden number. Most often that was a toll-free phone number, could also be a code. So after taking the medication, they would engage with their provider by either calling for free on that phone number or messaging in that number, which says, today I've taken my medication. So that was one way to give that signal and help a provider know that things seem to be all right. And if you stop doing that, then that's a signal that, okay, maybe something's wrong. It helps the provider intervene. But what I was referring to around policy is that at the time that we started this work around 2013 and 14, there was a change in the drug regimen in, in India, at least. Other countries had done that earlier, some did it later. But at the time, there was an intermittent drug regimen, which meant you took a whole cocktail of drugs you know, alternate days, more or less, three times a week for the first two months, which means, again, someone had to come into the center and take those cocktail of drugs in front of a provider. These are life-saving drugs, but they're also toxic and their side effects and things. But there was a shift to a daily dose regimen, which meant that entire cocktail was available in a fewer number of pills, but you would have to take them daily. So there was this policy question of, well, we have dots for this intermittent regimen, which, you know, kind of works, is burdensome, but at least you know, we're able to do that. How can we possibly ask someone to come in every day? We cannot. There was a question of how do we maintain our policy for strong patient-doctor engagement, but also empower people to take daily medication. And that's where things like 99 Dots, you know, the greater impact might have been just the ability to change that policy and let people take home a month's worth of medication at a time, you know, with the hope and knowledge that through a technology like 99 Dots, they could stay. So I think that's, again, where, in this case, the technology innovation was something. By enabling a better policy, you know, it became even more. I saw some photographs of 
the U99Dots packaging and the way that the free phone number can be revealed underneath the pill. I thought it was really clever and very creative. So for us, you know, 99Dots, we've, we've reached, I think, over 300,000 patients across 17 countries. There's been lots of exciting customizations and adaptations to different environments. So we ended up using USSD or SMS or kind of other ways of reporting. So there's always, you know, adaptations to cultural context. We've also applied an, an this to other domains. We've looked at mental health, for example, where you have a treatment supporter, someone else who's sort of observing or supporting your care so they can engage with the healthcare provider on your behalf. We've also looked at HIV settings, especially in the early days when you're first put on ARVs. Can you help develop these habits of taking medication on a regular basis? Active TB is what we've mostly been talking about, which means the TB is active in your lungs or other parts of your body. But a huge population around the world has what's called latent TB, which means they have the bacteria in their body, but it's just not activated yet. And the sad part is it really waits to be activated until you have other health challenges. For example, if you develop HIV or if you get older and your immune system goes down, now it becomes active and now you've got multiple challenges. So I think you know, one of the big pushes lately in, in the public health community is how to address the latent TB. So we've also been using adherence and digital tools to support that aspect of care as well. You mentioned a little bit about the impact that your solutions have had. Could you talk a little bit more about the results and impact of 99 dots? Absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, I think the first one is, you know, well, the ability for patients to take custody of their medication at that time. And that was a phenomenal impact. I think there's also in the settings where it's appropriate, there are many places where phone access is not there and, you know, making an extra call might be too much of a burden, but where appropriate, I think we've seen an exciting relationship develop with providers. For example, they're better able to manage their care on a daily basis. They can know who's taking their medication, who's not. And so that really has guided the way that they deliver care. You know, outside of 99Dots in particular, I think just a broader suite of digital tools to help, again, bridge this geographic gap between patients and providers. You know, before COVID, that was a big challenge. But during COVID, I think we saw an even greater need for this because there were lockdowns or restrictions. People could not travel or traveling was unnecessarily risky. So you had this huge loss in human connection with your provider. So there are other tools for video observed therapy where you record a video of yourself taking medication or asking questions or talking about your side effects in settings that have smartphones and digital connectivity. You know, those tools have been used. There's other tools around virtual care where you can sort of chatbots or other ways to message or talk to a healthcare system and kind of triage responses that way. So again, the theme is we all need that human connection, especially to overcome obstacles and challenges like recovering from a disease. So can technology come in there and bridge that, you know, Technology like WhatsApp and, and other tools have incredibly increased the amount of communication we have in the world, for better and worse, but the amount of communication is higher. So can we bring some of those elements as well to, to care? Yeah, the video observed therapy as well as, as you said, it was critical during the pandemic lockdowns. And so I'm sure that that also had an incredibly important impact throughout the whole country. Is this something that, I mean, I don't know too much about VOT in general? Is this something that, you know, was being implemented globally or was it just in India or do you know how basically TB care shifted during the pandemic in other parts of the world as well? Yeah. So, so VOT is actually not so common here in India just because of challenges of, you know, smartphone access and data and stigma, putting your you know face on a camera. There are definitely places where it's being used, but in other environments, it's being used more widely. For example, in the Philippines, in the US, actually, it's been used. A shout out to Kelly Collins and the Shared team. They're you know our partner and they're the ones that created this VOT solution, have been deploying it globally. And you know one of our philosophies at, at Everwell, my organization, is you know, we, we've created one innovation, which is 99Dots, but here's another innovation that you might think could be competitive one or the other. But I think we had a fantastic partnership early on and said, look, 
these are not competitive. These are complementary. There are environments where one is better than the other or one is more appropriate than the other. So let's merge these technologies in some way so we can provide providers with a single window, a single platform, a single interface, but then the choice between this technology and others to find what's most appropriate for patients. So in that context, VOT has been deployed in several different environments. Uh, there was one big project in Haiti in prison, where TV unfortunately is often rampant because of the confined environments. In Ukraine, our partners have been using VOT along with another solution, which is an electronic pillbox, which again is supposed to you know, help you understand when someone has taken their medication. So those solutions have been really appropriate in those environments. And recently, the WHO did recognize VOT or VST, as they call it, video-supported therapy, as a potential alternative to DOTS, where we need more research, of course, to understand its efficacy, but in a lot of research settings, it's been shown to have as high or if not higher you know, adherence and recurrence-free survival rates. Great. Can you talk a little bit more about program implementation itself? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, again, stepping back and putting yourself in the shoes or sandals of someone who's working in the field, you have this you know, incredible ecosystem of people around a country like India, which has very, very diverse environments, diverse language, diverse culture out in the field, well, basically implementing the program policy. You've got a policy for how to treat TB and there's a, uh, an infrastructure to support that. But of course, there are enormous challenges. You've got sometimes high turnover rates in healthcare workers. You've got challenges with education or kind of understanding. You've got vacancies, basically job openings that are not being filled. And so you've got a small staff really trying to cover a large cohort. So I think there are enormous challenges there. And then you, you know, you throw in technology and now I've got a I've got to, you know, upload my reports on a monthly basis, but there's all these other challenges. So I think, you know, there's amazing work being done, but there are constraints there. So again, our lens as technologists are trying to, you know, unlock those burdens or unburden the places where there are obstacles and support to daily work. So I think that's where a lot of exciting things have happened on a platform perspective, where in India, you know, the, the 99 dots work really evolved over time to, you know, this, this 99 dots piece was looking at adherence, one part of what's called the cascade of care, where the cascade of care is kind of this journey that a patient takes from you know, a person takes from maybe not knowing what disease they have to being diagnosed, to being on treatment, to taking their medication, hopefully to, you know, recurrence-free survival if it's TB or for lifelong management for other diseases. And we were looking at one piece of that, which is adherence. But I think we saw an enormous challenge there is that even if you've got a good solution there, if it's not connected to this broader ecosystem or this broader cascade of care, then your, you know, your impact is limited. You know, providers have to use multiple digital systems to register a case and also now do adherence. So, you know, maybe we've created extra work there. So I think one realization we had is, you know, another innovation, which maybe is not as headline grabbing as kind of a, you know, a point innovation, but it's just infrastructural support. Can we integrate all of these pieces of the cascade of care and have a single platform that, that has all the information? So then as a healthcare provider, you've got less work or one, you know, one tool to use. And then as a policymaker, someone looking at this data, you have all of the data in one place to make important decisions around how to you know, adjust your, your healthcare initiatives. So or where we see technology's role there is, again, as a maybe an efficiency tool or as a way to help unburden some of the burdens that are there for these you know, amazing healthcare workers. That's great. It seems like what I've been hearing you know, in terms of health technology is that there is that common theme of wanting everything to be more integrated and wanting everything to be more efficient. And, you know, I feel like that's very common need throughout many different aspects of digital health everywhere you go, every part of the world. So is there anything specific to India that you think was unique compared to other countries? You mentioned the cultural diversity and the linguistic diversity and things of that nature. Is there anything else that kind of stands out to you that makes it, you know, a special or different environment? Yeah, absolutely. I think those things that you mentioned are sort of challenges or things to think about are contextual things, but, you know, not unique to India. But given the size of India, the population of India, I think that's one of the 
challenges, but also opportunities is the scale of the problem, not just prevalence, but just incidents. So that also makes it, I think, an opportunity because you have central policies which can overnight impact you know, 1.5 or more billion people. I think there's also been a really exciting and progressive attitude from the policymaker side, from the government side around the fact that we need new innovations, we need solutions, not just technology, but better drugs. We need new policies around how diagnostics are done. So I think there's been a really forward thinking approach from the government side, which has made it really exciting for us to partner. And sort of mentioned the platform earlier, the platform that we've developed is called the Everworld Hub. It's an open source tool that again, digitizes this recovery journey for someone. In India, it's deployed as Nikshay. We're the technical partner for the government of India's TB program, Nikshay. And so that platform, again, every activity that anyone does on TV is digitized through that tool powerful for you know policymakers and for healthcare workers because again you've got diagnostics and reports and other things that are all on a single platform and that's you know over 2.5 million patients per year are registered on that platform you know tens of thousands of healthcare workers on a daily basis interact with that platform so it's been really exciting for us to see the impact of that on a daily basis and maybe just one example I'll give again on the kind of theme of technology enabling policy <clears throat> the government had a very forward thinking and ambitious policy around patient subsidies so financial subsidies for someone who's newly diagnosed with TB and for others in the ecosystem, treatment supporters, because again, you're very often you know, burdened and missing work and you know, finances are another concern along with your health. Can we provide subsidies for nutrition and other while you're on treatment? So that's a great policy. You know, there's a certain amount of money that goes every month to these people, but how do we enable this policy? If there's not this platform digital infrastructure, then you just can imagine what it means to give vouchers or give cash or at the scale of India, it's just intractable. So the platform enables all of these payments to go through. We can link to banking infrastructure. We can set up, you know, rules or custom logic that, uh, you know, map to the policy around who should receive how much on a given basis. We can link to bank accounts and then, you know, on a daily basis, uh, enable this policy. So again, in the, the policy is one innovation that is very forward thinking and, you know, patient support, but the technology is the enabler of that policy. So, you know, that's also innovation from, from my perspective. So, you know, we've enabled over $200 million in, in patient subsidies in the last few years. And so that's really exciting because that, again, really impacts and supports these people who are undergoing treatment. Great. And, you know, talking a little bit more about your impact, I just wanted to also comment on the fact that you're also helping to prevent further antibiotic resistance by, you know, enabling people to continue their treatment regimens in a way that is comfortable for them. And so, you know, I know you're, not really wanting to talk about this from a medical perspective per se, but I'm sure you have something to comment on regarding antibiotic resistance and the multi-drug resistant TB problem. Not that I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Maybe not the most qualified. I want to defer to my medical colleagues to talk about certain aspects of it. But from our perspective, or from everyone's perspective, of course, this is a, a challenge. And if you talk to someone who's undergone MDR, XDR treatment, it, it's just, yeah, it's life-changing. It's an enormous burden and, and challenge. And when you've you know recovered or gone through that, the world has opened up for you in a lot of ways. And, and there's a lot of exciting champions. There's an organization called Survivors Against TB, again, to give a shout out to that, that really cultivates these champions and talks about their story and helps raise awareness for the challenges that someone going through TB treatment, especially MDR and XDR treatment undergo. So I think, the, again, from a very high level perspective, there are effective drugs for drug sensitive TB. Again, they're long regimens and, and you know, there are side effects. And we're really excited about some upcoming, you know, hopefully shorter regimens and other drugs that are coming up. But for once you develop a drug resistant strain, 
then it could involve injectables. It could involve a much longer treatment. It's also more severe on your body. You know, if it's infecting your lungs, you could have lung deterioration and all of these other challenges. So it's really something, you know, prevent and, and identify when it's there so you can treat it appropriately. Because oftentimes someone with that is misdiagnosed as having just drug sensitive TB or something else. And so they're not getting the effective drugs for that and it becomes worse. And I think this is not just a problem localized to places like India or, or South Africa or other places that have you know, prevalence. This is something that's a global challenge, as we've seen with COVID when you have mutations. So I think there's a global responsibility and challenge to kind of identify and, and do our best to treat these cases, not just for the people that are suffering, but for a global health perspective. And so maybe, you know, again, one other shout out to other Exciting innovations from engineering or science perspective, you know, there's agnostics as well that are able to identify rifampicin resistance or other types of resistances specifically so we can know what kind of medication, what kind of regimen someone should go on. So, you know, there's a, a science side or a technology side of creating diagnostics machines that can identify this. There's a whole implementation side challenge of how do we deploy these diagnostic machines? How do we maintain them? How do we connect them to the system? And, and then ultimately, how do we deliver the right drugs to people? And so again, technology, or at least our role on the platform development can connect all of these things. If you have a diagnostics machine that's identifying drug resistance, and it's automatically connecting to the broader case management system, then again, that, that just reduces one potential loss or potential gap of, of having to map that over to the core system. So I think that's where we see our role as kind of amplifying effect of connecting other innovations or amplifying other innovations to this broader cascade of care. That makes sense. Yeah. So Everwell Health is you know helping to bring together a lot of different pieces into something more unified and more efficient for the medical system to be able to use. Absolutely. And, you know, always in partnership with the healthcare workers, this is not a replacement for anyone's role. This is just a, another tool, just like I'm using a, a mic and a laptop right now to, to do something. I think the framing is always that these technology tools are just, uh, well, tools that someone who's equipped and educated and ready to support patients can use to leverage the work rather than something that can replace them. You know, the, the goal of the world is to end TB. So even as we get closer to that, the problems actually become harder and harder because you're talking about edge cases and more challenging environments that broader policies can't solve. So there's always more challenges. I think, I mean, there's a whole challenge of sustainability for these works. So you've got a digital system, it's been built, it's, you know, hopefully having impact, but how do you maintain that long-term? Whose responsibility is it to maintain long-term? If it's an open source toolkit, as you know, that's our philosophy, then that's great, it's available, but someone with technical know-how has to maintain it and somebody has to pay for that. And so getting these kind of finance mechanisms and sustainability mechanisms in place is, is really critical and not as easy as it sounds because you're talking about, again, the intersection of economics and finance with policy, with technology. And so I think, you know, we're really excited to continue working in that space and kind of pushing for sustainability there. I think on the other side, you know, we've, everyone has primarily worked in communicable diseases and public health, TB, HIV, COVID, other things that, you know, have some similarities in how they're treated. Huge number of people seek out treatment in the private sector. And by private sector, I mean, you know, local doctors and pharmacists and chemists that are not part of the government system, they're a private practice. And so there's, you know, an opportunity to kind of address and support them. I think there's, again, there's been some forward-thinking policies about how to connect public-private partnerships. I think that's exciting for us. But then beyond communicable diseases, there's you know a lot of things that are rising. I mean, diabetes, for example, in India, hypertension, those are all on the rise. And there's you know a lot, uh, as a challenging space, a lot of things that I think technology or at least the innovative treatment mechanisms can address. So I think we're really excited about that as well. Yeah, is there anything else that I may have missed my questions? Well, we've sort of been talking about a few different approaches to public health. I think one of the you know, questions that I've gotten before is, you know, are there other innovative solutions or what else is happening? I think, you know, beyond the Everwell space, of course, Everwell is excited to amplify and empower these, but I think there's 
you know, a lot of exciting technology things, you know, AI enabled tools are, are always you know, exciting or people want to talk about those and they may, they may have merit, but I think simpler things also have you know, even more impact. For example, counseling, just better counselors or better trained counselors or better you know, salaries or subsidies for counseling. I think that's exciting. You know, I mentioned these public private partnerships. You know, I think, again, people focus a lot on the next innovation, but I also think there's a huge need for this core infrastructural work. I mean, building the right integrated platforms and the right digital tools or infrastructures that help. And even on a more basic basis, the you know access to smartphones, for example, is increasing. It is absolutely not universal, but it is increasing. So there's an opportunity there to engage people in a different way using you know, smartphones or personal devices. I think the data is another big thing. I think the data, you know, having this centralized platform means you have access to the data. Authorized people in the government have access to the data and therefore can make better and more informed decisions. So I've been really excited to see that happening, you know, more looking at these data and making data-driven decisions on that. Something I get asked is why I work in India, why I work in TV. There's so many other spaces. And I think, you know, it's been really exciting to see the challenges, but also the solutions coming out. I think the community is in flux in a good way now. I think there's a good grasp of what the challenges are. I think some really exciting things to address that. And again, India just represents a huge burden, but also a huge opportunity. And it's just the pace that things are changing and the openness to that change has been overwhelmingly positive and a great environment to work in. So I think that's a really exciting thing. And you know, something people sort of say is if it can work in India, you have a lot of promise it can work in other places. Not because India is the hardest, but because of the diversity there. You've got fantastically developed urban centers as well as very, very remote you know, places in mountainous regions that don't have cell phone connectivity. So if you've got a policy that works here, you know, it's pretty good chance you've got a good start at how it might work in other places with, of course, important adaptations and localizations for other environments. So I think that's what makes India a great incubator for some of these innovations. Really interesting point. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of geographic features in India that matter. And <laughs> along with, yeah, like you were saying, all kinds of diversity. So it is kind of a situation where if it can work there, it could probably work in another place. So that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that before, actually. Something you mentioned earlier that seemed to make India a little bit of an easier place to implement public health interventions was the fact that the government was on board with a lot of these things and actively supportive. I think in the U.S., there's definitely been tension between policymakers and public health, you know? <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. So I think you know, part of it is the leading from the front. Again, policies at central level, but I think there's also ownership at state levels, for example, to implement and drive their own policies. And there's always, always frictions. It's not a smooth path at any point, but I think there is an ecosystem agreement that this is a huge challenge and we all need to do the right thing to get it better. I mean, I think also India's got a huge structure for medical medically trained people, doctors and nurses, and that's a huge benefit as well. I think a lot of other countries kind of come, send people to be educated here for medical things. And so having that strong medical infrastructure, again, everything could be better, but having the very strong medical infrastructure is, it helps lay the foundation for some of these work as well. I think from a software engineering perspective, there's a really strong entrepreneurial network. There's a lot of exciting entrepreneurship happening here. Software development companies are there. So you have a strong talent pool to bring to a team like Everwell and help develop these tools that, that, you know, try to save lives. That's great. I'm really happy to feature the work that you're doing. I think it's very important and it seems like it's already had enormous impact and you're just at the 10 years of this work, did you say? Or Yeah, 99 Dots work started in 2013. So that's been a while. Everyone was founded in 2015. Okay. Maybe that's a part of the story I didn't talk so much about, but, you know, at the time we were working, my co-founders and I were working at Microsoft, Microsoft Research here in Bangalore, which was at a really exciting time. There's a group called the Technology for Emerging Markets group that was really focused on applying technology to social problems. And I think that's where a lot of my personal 
background and training came in, you know, how do you approach a problem as a technologist? How do you understand the ecosystem first? How do you do the, the sociology side of it, the, the, you know, understanding of cultural context before you go and throw technology at it. So that's where a lot of these early ideas started. And then in 2015, we had some really exciting traction with the Gates Foundation, USA, and other support, as well as the government really seeing the value of this and asking us to scale things up. And so I think there was a decision that this was research at one point, but now it needs to be something else. We need to scale a technology and support a technology. And so that was the real impetus to found Everwell as a separate organization to have an organization wholly devoted to driving and championing these technologies or really trying to answer the question, can technology impact public health? And if so, where and how can we be a part of that? Great. I mean, I think that it's something that is a challenge for all the reasons that you mentioned, but also full of opportunities for all the reasons that you mentioned. And something that I am curious about is how, you know, electronic health records in many other places, how that would interact with kind of the solutions that you're talking about. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm talking about is electronic medical records or EHR, EMR systems, which are just, again, digital platforms that digitize medical records in a lot of ways. So the platform I was mentioning, the Everwell Hub, you know, one definition is an EMR system. It's really beneficial to have all medical records in one place. And I think you know, where the industry is heading, I hope, and I think where there's been a lot of exciting conversations, but this is another enormous challenge that I don't think has been well solved in any environment that I've seen. But someone who has TB, you know, could be co-infected with HIV or could be co-infected with other things or have other health challenges. And, you know, to have a full picture of what is ailing them can give a doctor a better perspective on how to treat that. So when you have TB in a vertical, it's, you know, you have one piece of the puzzle. But if you can connect that to other systems and have a holistic view, then I think it just empowers doctors better. Of course, you need immense privacy policies and you think about security. And this is very critical, sensitive data for someone around their health. So you need to think through those challenges. You've got different treatments. I mean, even just kind of anecdotes from our experience, you know, in when we first started working in TB and HIV, we were connecting these two programs, which had been historically separate. There were, again, again, strong policies coming in that were asking them to work together. But one challenge we saw early on from a technology perspective was that actually geographies were not mapped. You know, you've got a state, everyone agrees on the state, you've got a district, maybe those are agreed on, but maybe the names are slightly different. Once you get below that level, there were a lot of differences in how they were mapped. So if you're trying to add a geography field or trying to understand where this health center is, you first have to kind of agree on the geographical boundaries. So, you know, there, there are, again, just as an example of challenges as you try to interconnect these systems that have been historically different. Does the Everwell hub basically, you're saying that it is essentially an EHR system. So do you mean that it holds basically the whole patient record and not just information about communicable diseases, but also everything else? At this stage, it hosts, you know, mostly related to the disease that it's being deployed in. So in HIV settings or PLHIV settings, it's hosting that data. But again, just to say Everwell does not own or host or you know have any claims to the data. This is all government or partner data. If we're working with a research institute, it's their data. If we're working with the government, it's their data. So Everwell, again, is just a technology partner helping them run this thing, but not in any way looking at or owning the data. But in the Everwell Hub's case, it's right now it's disease specific. So if it's deployed for TB, then it's TB data, where there might be some fields relating to a co-infection. But I think the vision for the future is that as these systems, you know, as we connect the systems in cascade of care for one disease, we should also be connecting systems across diseases for you know more effective of care. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Because like you were saying with the co-infection and all of that, there's a lot of situations where, you know, it would be important to kind of understand the overlap. I definitely find, you know, innovations related to TB to be really, really special because you're addressing all kinds of challenges and on the outside, it may look like an easy problem to solve, but it's really not like you're describing. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things you have to consider. And yeah, I hope to keep up with 
all the great things that you're doing and read more about your innovations in the news. <laughs> thanks so much, Miran. Yeah, thanks again for having me.